Hey there, sports fan. Welcome to the Draft Site Podcast, your home for all professional sports drafts. Brought to you by DraftSite.com, the original full round mock draft site. Now let's get to the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Draft Site's Milestone 20th Podcast Edition. DJ, I bet you never thought we'd make it this far, huh? Oh, just a couple of zeros to put behind that. We're an unstoppable force right now. Oh, yeah. We've been doing it pretty much every Monday. Uh, we'll keep doing it as, as long as we can until the draft, and uh, maybe after. Maybe we'll take a break. But either way, uh, keep giving us your feedback. Let us know what you want to hear. As always, let us know what you want to see on the site. Um, if there's any articles, if there's any content you want to see, we're making updates every day as we speak. Recently, one of the things we did was we fixed up the trade section of the site. So if you are looking at the NFL draft and you want to see the trades, now you can sort by choosing your team. Um, so you can choose Carolina, and you can see all their trades that they've ever been a part of uh, for as long as we have this system in place. Uh, we're going to have that, and we're going to have a lot more. There's going to be new features coming out for the Create Your Own Mock Draft. Uh, the blog, DJ has been updating. You, if you're not following that, you're missing out. You get up-to-date, up-to-the-minute uh, updates on pro day notes and his news and news and notes, uh, small school prospects. Got a little bit of everything. So tonight, tonight we're going to talk about our publication in the USA Today magazine that's on shelves now. You can find it in your local magazine stand. Uh, I found it in Dwayne Reed here in New York. DJ's still looking for it, but uh, we have a seven-round mock draft 2015 in there that spans about six or seven pages, and on the back page of the magazine, we have a two-round 2016 NFL mock draft. We'll talk about small school prospects. We'll talk about some of the pro days, team needs, veteran combines. We'll see what we have time for, and uh, and we'll end with a song of the week. It's Alvi recommendation, it's Sirens by Lola Marsh. So stay on till the end. It's got a really great kind of Quentin Tarantino type vibe to it. So uh, <laughs> stay on to the end, and here we go. Uh, DJ, let's get started. So I got the magazine from the store, USA Today, and keep in mind that for this magazine, we had to publish this, uh, I think, when was it, in February, DJ? I think it was in the uh, the middle of February, yes, right around uh, Valentine's Day. Okay. So that was obviously before the pro days occurred. That was before the combine, before free agency. Everything could obviously change. But but our top two are still our top two on draft side. We had Jameis Winston and Leonard Williams going number two. It's at number three where... Obviously, there have been changes, and most recently this week for our number three pick, and that was Randy Gregory. Talk about Randy Gregory, how we had him at three and where he would be now. Oh, he's going to be a little bit lower, and um, we actually beat many of the um, larger sports sites in actually reporting his failed drug test that he had actually admitted to. Um Tested positive for marijuana at the Combine, and for anyone who, who knows anything about Randy Gregory, first off, um, he was set to go to Purdue, did not have the grades academically uh, to go to Purdue, went to a junior college, 
then going to Nebraska, and twice at Nebraska, he had actually tested positive for marijuana. They kind of gave him the three-strike policy. Um, what I've heard is if he had tested positive one more time, he was actually going to be dismissed from the team. Good thing for him that did not happen. Uh, but unfortunately, it, it, uh, he is now in phase one of the NFL's um, substance abuse program because he did test positive at the Combine. That combined with the history, obviously it's not the first time he's used substances of this sort, uh, this is going to drop him off uh, drop him off boards completely, if not definitely knock him down the draft. I'd say now you're probably looking at some of the, the edge rushers like uh, Shane Ray or Bud Dupree or some of those top people who would have been behind him probably going in front because there, there's going to be a lot of people uh, that are going to be kind of scared about his position. As a matter of fact, We've talked about, uh, we, we see it in every draft where there's always those two to four prospects who always are kind of trade baited. The back of the, the back of the order, there's teams that kind of clamor. They want to trade to the end of the first round because they don't think that prospect's going to be there in round two when it's their time. I think we could see Gregory drop all the way toward the latter stages of round one, and then teams are going to want to take a chance, maybe make a deal for him, just because they don't want to wait for that type of talent in round two. I have, a, I have a feeling that's where we're going to uh, see him drop unless, you know, he really, really makes a couple of teams uh, feel very confident that this is a, a one-and-done situation. At number four, we had Amari Cooper, and we were sticking with that for a while. I think it was until after the combine when Kevin White really just blew it up, and, you know, it's hard to avoid his 6'3 height and, uh, and his speed and his athleticism. Do you think there's still a good chance that Oakland could go Amari Cooper at number four, or you think they're? Pretty I think there's a good chance, White. but I think the doors. I think the doors open. Um, it could be White. It could be Cooper. I think uh, it looked like it was Cooper was the sure shot, especially with uh, that Heisman campaign and the way he ended the season. Kevin White became the real kind of attractive pick, and it looked like he had leapfrogged him on a number of boards. Now I think it's about neck and neck, and uh, I don't think Devontae Parker is going to be the first one chosen. But I think the gap has closed between 1 and 1A, being Kevin White and Amari Cooper, and number three, which seems to be Devontae Parker. I think he will be the third one. He possibly could be second. I don't think he's going to be the first receiver chosen, but whether that first receiver is Cooper or White, we could see Parker actually sliding in the number two spot. So it's almost like a win or show for those, uh, those first two. That's kind of the feeling right now, who's going to be taken first. Um, I don't, again, I don't think it's going to be Parker, but he, he's got a good shot at going number two. So it, it's going to be very, very interesting. In our mock draft in this magazine, we actually had Parker at number 11 over Kevin White originally uh, going to Minnesota. So that, that very well could be the case. And who knows? It could be accurate there. And we, and we got to give uh, Zach some props for that. Um, you like the fact, you know, when, when we're talking about chemistry, you obviously with a, with a pick like Devontae Parker going to the Vikings – a lot of uh, thought would have to go into the fact that Teddy Bridgewater, being from Louisville, reuniting with Don, uh, Devontae Parker. There's some chemistry there. I think there's a, a very good chance either Minnesota does that. Um, do they still do that with uh, some of the wide receivers they've acquired? Or I, I think there's also a very good chance that, that possibly they take the first corner off the board. There's a good chance that Trey Waynes is still on the board at 11. So I think it's wide receiver or corner for Minnesota, depending on what's happened in front of them. And going back to that number four pick, you know, this is the type of pick that I feel fools everyone. And granted, in the past, we knew what Al Davis was going to do, but it's kind of a different era now a little bit, we'd like to think, with Reggie McKenzie there. Um, the number four pick, obviously, it's, you know, with 
Derek Carr, they feel pretty good about the quarterback, so maybe Mariota won't go, and they need a wide receiver badly. But it could very easily be. I mean, if you were, if it was a, a smart GM, um, the way I've seen it is you can get great wide receivers later on. So why not pick a position of also need or a position of prominence, uh, potentially like offensive line or defensive end, something of that nature, and then pick a wide receiver in a later round, second or third round. And that's why I could see a guy – uh, who I don't necessarily love, but a guy like Vic Beasley jumping up there at number four, and, and it and it wouldn't surprise me if they did that and then just went, you know, wide receivers in the later rounds. What do you think, DJ? Well, I don't know why you don't love Vic Beasley. He's my number two prospect overall. I, I really like Vic Beasley. There's a good shot, shot at that happening. I don't think we're going to see a ton of trades, but in that 3-4-5 spot with Tennessee, Oakland, and Washington, I think the likelihood that one of those three teams makes a deal is very high. I, I'm just not sure where it's going to happen. Uh, we hear uh, Jacksonville seems to be possibly the, the one with the most uh, interest in trading down, but at the same time, obviously you're going to be paying when you're that, uh, that high up the draft. Just one spot, three to four, there's a, there's a big difference in the amount that a team has to give up. So it's a lot that a team's going to have to give up uh, to move into that number three spot, depending on where they're coming from. So, uh, again, I don't think we're going to see a flurry of activity, but three, four, and five, I think one of those three teams, there's there's one deal in there. I think the likelihood is over 50% that one of those uh, teams is actually going to trade back from that position. I think that trade chart is a little outdated. I mean, frankly, you know, with the, with the, um, the salary scale for rookies and everything, I – if I were Jacksonville and I wanted to trade back and I didn't see the difference between, you know, I didn't really care if I got Fowler or Dupree or Beasley and I wanted to trade back to, you know, five or six, um, I would take, you know, I would take just an extra third round pick. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't ask for first this year, first next year. I would ask, you know, I would try to get it. But if I didn't get it and I only had a, you know, another minute to go and a team really wanted to trade there, um, you know, and I could pick up an extra few picks, especially for a rebuilding franchise. I would do it. I, I think that I think that trade chart needs to be updated a little bit. And um, you know, I, I I say it's worth it to move down, even if even if you're getting not as much as you used to be able to, even if it's you know a second or third round or even a fourth round pick. Yeah, and I, I think it's also going to be key for if one of these teams actually has one player that just seems to be worlds ahead of others on the board. Uh, we saw this a couple of years ago with Oakland. They were actually sitting at number three. They traded back to number 12. The player they wanted at number three was D.J. Hayden, the cornerback, and he was still there at number 12. Everyone could not believe that that's actually the player they wanted at three, but that's the player Oakland liked. A lot of criticism with Tyson Alulu. I believe he went eighth overall a few years back, and that was another one where they actually made the pick, but a lot of people were kind of scratching their hands. He's turned out to be a pretty solid player. So, uh Sometimes there's just that a team just locks on to one prospect and they seem to like them just a little bit more than everyone else. So that, that could be key as well. So maybe they think they can still get that value. They kind of overvalue a prospect over more than what many of the other teams do. And then they still feel they're getting a great deal because he's still going to be available maybe five, six, maybe even 10 spots later. Continuing on with this mock, we had, uh, we had Washington take, uh, taking Brennan Scherf, the, what we have as an offensive tackle, it's proving more and more that he's looking like a, a potential guard. And I know you noted that in your uh, in the blog recently when you 
talked about Iowa's pro day. Do you, uh, do you see him as a better guard prospect than a tackle, or, or can he actually play tackle in the next level? A guard or a right tackle. I think the feeling around the league right now is he's going to be successful no matter what he goes. But, you know, I, I said that I believe it was 2004, Robert Gallery, the second pick overall. When you look at the similarities between the two, uh, Robert Gallery and, and what uh, something I call now T-Rex arms, the fact that he had such short arms and that really did not bode well for a tackle. They put him on the inside. He had a very, you know, he had a serviceable NFL career. He was never a star, but he was a serviceable and a, and a good, solid guard. Uh, just there on the interior where, you know, you don't have the pass rushers coming off the edge. Getting that leverage and, and the long arms is not as important. Um, Gallery, I believe, was about 32 and a half as far as wingspan, where um, um, it's just over, a, I believe it's a 33, 33 and a half inches, just a little bit over um, – an inch or so, and, and, and that makes a big difference. We talk about a player that I noted in the, in the blog today, Tyson Chandler, not the NBA guy, but the uh, tackle from NC State. Played at about 340 pounds. A lot of people said this guy's a project. He's very, very uh, – uh, his, his, his footwork's very sloppy. Or he's going to need a lot of work. But at the same time, you're talking about a guy with a wingspan of close to 37 inches, where there, just four inches, it makes a world of difference. He is seen as someone with tremendous wingspan, and it's something that – is turning a lot of people on, and, and he's really kind of jumping up a lot of boards as maybe a late-round prospect or someone to bring in as a, a highly-valued free agent. So sometimes it's those small little measurements. We saw with uh, Darquise Denard, he actually slipped on a few boards last year at the cornerback position, shorter arms, and did not have the vertical. I think a lot of teams can overlook one. If you have both, obviously it's great, but if you kind of have the short arms and don't have the great vertical, that's usually seen as a strike against you, so... He slipped on a couple of boards, and a couple teams took them out of took him out of first round consideration because he also had kind of that that shorter that shorter wingspan, as we say. Well, going back to the offensive tackles, I mean, the way we had it in this mock in the magazine was Brendan Scherf, Andres Pete, Leo Collins, and, Eric Flowers, Eric Flowers. Yeah, Eric. Yeah, Eric. Is that how you say his name, Eric? Yeah, it's. I've heard it's pronounced both both ways, but it looks like a lot of. Um, Telecasts are saying Eric. We actually talk to him or his family. It's more Arik. So we'll see if this is a Seisman, Feisman, Dorset, Dorset going to the NFL. So we'll see how the plant plays out. I actually think he's the number two tackle. I still have Turk listed as the number one tackle right now. I still think that he's more of a tackle prospect. Um, but again, I think on the right side, where I think Flowers might be overall the best left tackle guy. Uh, I think he's someone that's undervalued a little bit. And I, I think he's. Someone who's, who's going to be moving up, he, you, we could see him right outside the top 10, maybe to the later stages of, of round one, somewhere in that maybe 11 to 25 range around where Carolina would pick. He should be going. And uh, Another person who had another year of eligibility, at first there were some people questioning whether that was the right thing to do, but I think he made a very good decision and, and has a good shot at being the second tackle off the board. Well, how about Lael Collins? I mean, he, he said recently that you know, he basically challenged everyone to – Watch his tape and said he's he's the best tackle prospect. And I think if you watch him against Florida, you you can say he's definitely he's definitely one of the best in this draft. I mean, you know, given that Sheriff is potentially a guard or a right tackle, you see a guy like Collins with uh, potentially more talent as a as a better pick. 
Well, I'd say one thing, you'd have to say he's the most curious about his position and the drive because he's a guy who was thought of as, as being more overweight. He was playing at close to about 335, uh, tipping the scale at close to 340 as a, as a, uh, uh, toward the end of his freshman season. He's really around that 305 to 310 range, he's, and he's done it gradually. It wasn't like a sudden weight loss, like he went on some diet and lost 25 pounds. Uh, he really seems to has he has worked on his footwork. His footwork just seems so fluid and, and not nearly as choppy as when he actually first came into the SEC. And the fact that he just seems to have played his way into better shape, um, I do applaud what he's done. And, and I think that uh, he's just kind of that, that guy that no one speaks of as being number one in any particular area, but he's solid all the way around. He might be the most complete tackle, um, probably doesn't have the biggest upside or someone that you would think of being the best of the class, but it's hard to find a weakness with his game. If you're just looking for a solid over a guy with no question marks, that might be your guy. Well, looking at this mock, um, we had a few things that still hold true for us, which, again, is impressive because it was before all the, all the, before the combine, before the pro days, before free agencies. So we had a lot to really guess. We had to kind of really dig and, and figure out how we thought these guys would do at their pro days, how we thought they'd do at the combine. And um, a couple things hold true. I mean, we still have, well, obviously, Leonard Williams as a top kind of tackle, but we had Danny Shelton going 12 to Cleveland, and we still have that. Um, one guy who's dropped a lot, though, in the mock is Shaq Thompson. In this magazine, we had him at 14, and now we have him at 31. What do you think is, what's the cause for that? drop there, DJ? I think he's one of the most versatile players, but I think there's some people questioning whether he is a true linebacker. There are some teams that I think are, are questioning more and more whether he is more of a strong safety. Uh, of course, and we, we did see the versatility twice this season. He went for over 100 yards running the ball. So obviously a very good athlete, someone who's a very sound tackler, a good all-around player, weights a little bit, um, a little bit light, doesn't have that physically kind of imposing physique. So there are some that are wondering whether he's more of a heavy, maybe a Sean Taylor type safety that you can put him kind of uh, as kind of that extra hybrid linebacker, someone that you can play in the, in the secondary and essentially move into kind of a front seven or a guy you can move around, especially in run support and kind of bring closer to the line and shoot. There's some teams that, uh, that are wondering whether that's going to be a better place or, or better suited for him. I think regardless of wherever you put him, he's just a fantastic player. He's one of my favorite prospects in this draft. I really, really like Shaq Thompson a lot. But, um, I mean, I can see where some of these teams are coming from, and I think that's a trend that we're seeing. Uh, some of those uh, those strong safeties are getting a little bit heavier. It used to be about uh, 200, 205, and we're seeing a lot more prospects in that 215 to close to getting the 225 range. They're, they're almost as heavy as the linebackers that we see playing on the outside. Well, the guy we had uh, going as our first safety off the board, we still have the case. And, and right now we have him as the only safety in the first round. That's Landon Collins. That's held pretty true. Uh, in the magazine, we had our other first cornerback, Trey Wayne, going off the board. But we had him going off at 22nd. And now we have him jumping up all the way to around 11. So it seems like these two guys flip-flop a little bit. But um, I think... You know, that shows the importance of the cornerback position as well. But 
As far as safeties, are there any other safeties that you think might jump into the first round? As far as the first round, I don't think so at this time. I think Gerard Holloman, the, the 14 interceptions being at Louisville, he was the guy that a lot of people kind of thought was going to be that ball hawk. Maybe he was that next Ed Reed type safety. Um, again, it was just a, a wonderful uh, at Louisville. And now he might not even be the first safety from Louisville. We could actually see Sample off the board um, before Holloman. He's really just disappointed. His 40 times have been slow. As far as just the, I would say, the play recognition, seems to be some, some teams have, have actually talked about the, the fact that he doesn't seem to instinctively pick up uh, plays quite as, quite as quickly, or they've seen him bite a little bit too much on, on some fakes. Uh, actually on film, and maybe he was the, the beneficiary of having an overall strong secondary and some stronger people around in Charles Gaines as well. I still think he's a good player, but I don't think there's a chance of him going in the first round. Deron Smith of Fresno State, another person I just wrote about today in our blog, he was, I think he's the second best safety in this draft, but he's someone who's been off the field for about three and a half months. He had a, a major sports hernia surgery, and his pro day was really the first chance he had to get out and show teams what he's about, but you don't really see, regardless of whether you're playing in the Mountain West at Fresno State, which has turned turned out some very good prospects, but you don't see a lot of players nowadays that are actually four-year all-conference players in their conference, and that's something Deron Smith was. Just a, a very, very sound and solid safety um, up there as far as interception totals, very good uh, in run support. I think he's the closest to being that, uh, that first-round safety. It's unfortunate he had that injury because he, he played through some injuries in college and, and was very durable. Just happened to have an injury at the, the tail end of his collegiate career. I think he's the closest to being a first-round prospect, but I don't think he'll get there. Yeah, the other thing I find amazing in this magazine is that we actually predicted, uh, I started touching on this, is our, all of our defensive tackles uh, we have in the exact same position now, except for one. Like I said, we have Leonard Williams at the same position, Danny Shelton at number 12, to Cleveland, Malcolm Brown at number 16, not the running back, but the defensive tackle from Texas. We have him going to Houston. And then we have Eddie Goldman, the defensive tackle from Florida State, going to Detroit. And the only other one that we had in the first round that we still have in the first round but that's in a different position is Jordan Phillips, defensive tackle out of Oklahoma. We now have him going to Green Bay as opposed to New England. I'd say that's pretty impressive having done that a couple, we think. The guy that I really like, and I think is one of the better ones, another person we just wrote about, Davis, um, who was actually the MVP at the Senior Bowl. I think he's a guy that could sneak into the first round, but I think those defensive tackles are, are pretty much set in stone. I think Malcolm Brown was the guy who has kind of cemented himself as number two, maybe over Eddie Goldman. But I think that's something we forecasted a, a little while ago. That's something I, I saw coming. Again, in, in the back, I think the, the two picks that we've had since about the dawn of time is Eddie Goldman going to Detroit and Eric Kendricks going to Arizona. Those seem to be those two picks in the 20s where teams just, uh, those two teams in particular just seem to love those particular players and are not uh, doing anything to really hide um, their affection for, for those two players, both defensive players. I think Eddie, I think Eddie Goldman, that's something we said a long time ago. People were like, wow, with Indomitian Sue and Nick Fairley, and, you know, they're going to bring them back. Well, they didn't bring any of them back, and that's something we forecasted long ago. Even with Haloti not in the fold, they're still going to need some new blood at defensive tackle, and I think 
Eddie Goldman's the guy there, and I, I think we have him as the third defensive tackle off the board, or fourth when you, can, when you count uh, Leonard Williams, of course. There's one other guy that you have in the first round, uh, that we have in the first round of the mock draft on the website that you didn't have um, until the second round. And the only reason why I'm asking you about him now, uh, he went from 53 to now 19 to Cleveland's second pick, is because I know you love to say his name. So go ahead. Owenabi Adigizua. And I think he's a player that could go even further uh, up, up the chart. Uh, Cleveland may still take him maybe with the first election. He's actually a guy, believe it or not, we talked about a team that values a player maybe more than any other. Don't be surprised if maybe the Redskins even at number five. This could be a Ziggy Ansa situation all over again. Uh, he's a player, of course, from BYU. Two years with uh, the Lions. Showed some, some flashes, inconsistency, but some very good flashes as a rookie. Had a pretty, pretty good year last year. I think this is the same type of situation. Um, would fit in very well with the Redskins. They might be looking more defensive line now, vice offensive line, maybe go offensive line a little bit later just because of the loss of Brian Arakpo, but just seems to be that, that type of player, maybe the, the, the kind of player they never got from an Adam Carricker, uh, more of the, the run support, which a Diggy Zua was just fantastic with. He, he's, a, he's an all-around defensive end. He's not that <clears throat> pure terror that's going to get after the quarterback and just rush, rush, rush. Uh, he's a very cerebral player and someone who can play the run just as well as, as the pass. And I think in a, a division that still tries to pound the ball a lot, we, we saw with what uh, Dallas did with DeMarco Murray and Philadelphia running the ball a lot, and the Giants, I think, wanting to get back there. The Redskins really want a defensive end that's going to be strong against the run. So if they're able to trade back a little bit, he could be the target, or they could su- that could be the surprise pick in the top ten that no one really sees coming. It could be a diggy zua. All right, well, before I close the magazine, let's look at 2016 real quick. We had that on the back page. Uh, frankly, I think this pick was a little biased from Zach always chirping in our ear about the Ohio State guys. So we had Joey Bosa at number one and Laramie Tunzel at number two, the offensive tackle from Ole Miss. Kendall Fuller, cornerback out of Virginia Tech at number three. Robert Negam. Uh, Megabundici, you say, DJ, how you say it? <laughs> another old Miss player. Old Miss could actually have four players probably within the top 30 or 35 next year. They're, they're kind of stacked. And with Tunsil, who actually had a chance, I, I think, had he not suffered a late season injury, he may have declared in this draft there was a chance that he could have been the first tackle off the board because he was a redshirt sophomore. But he did suffer a, um, a meniscus and a patella um uh, I believe it was Patella. I'm not sure if it's right now if it's Patella or ACL, but it doesn't seem to be a complete tear, so it's something that I don't think will affect his stock uh, too much. But uh, it's just a fantastic recruiting. I don't know what's going on there in, in Mississippi, but they are some recruiting a lot of five-star players, and it's not just the SEC in general anymore. Mississippi's really getting their share. And I actually – he's one player that I could see going number one. I mean, there's a few other guys. I don't think Bosa is necessarily set in stone. I think they have to check on his athleticism and see how he lines up in the NFL. Um, you know, that will all come with the combine. And I think he'll have another great season, and there's a great chance he could go number one. But I think as an NFL prospect, they still want to see more film. But I think um, uh, Ndichie, 
I think he's got a good chance of going number one. He was the number one prospect coming out of high school. There's a big Absolutely. coup in Mississippi. Got him. Miles Jack is a guy that I love out of UCLA. Um, you know, I think we wrote about how great of an athlete he was uh, this year. He's a sound tackler, but I think going into next year, he could be one of those. He could be one of those runner-up for Heisman type defensive players. Uh, I could see him going number one. A guy that we talked about a lot. We've kind of jumped up and down. We had him on the board this year. Took him out. He went back to school. Shalik Calhoun. Michigan State's returning a lot of players. And if, those, if that team is in national championship contention and that defense is as dominant as we think it is and Calhoun's putting up some sort of dominant season, you know, he's got the size, he's got the, uh, he's got the frame to, to be a number one overall type NFL player. So those are the guys. And then I think, you know, anytime there's a quarterback, um, any of these quarterbacks like Burr's like, who I know you love, Cardell Jones. I wouldn't necessarily say Connor Cook, but those two guys who have the who have what teams are looking for in terms of size and arm strength when it comes to quarterbacks. If those guys have exceptional years, there's a good chance they go number one, especially to a team that's um, quarterback needy. I, I agree. I still like Hackenberg, but I think the ultimate runner-up. I, I think it's someone you haven't mentioned yet. I will say keep your eyes on Gunnar Keel, actually, from, uh, from Cincinnati, the transfer from Notre Dame. Uh, I think he's, he's got all the tools as well. He's really starting to put it together. He's a guy with another superb season, I think, could have a Blake Bortles-type rise, and we could be talking about him uh, if he declares next year as the top quarterback in the draft. <laughs> Wouldn't that be interesting? He, he had a great year last year. I was wondering if people noticed him, but uh, obviously we did. We put him at number 25 in – 2016 NFL mock draft. So let's go back to 2015 because we'll have plenty of time to talk about 2016. Uh, that's going to come up on the website pretty soon. We want to make sure everyone knows that, you know, we're the first ones out there with that year. We're, we're going to be up there early. And, uh, you know, we're going to be working all summer to uh, keep building that out. But as far as 2015, DJ, you recently wrote an article um, about – your top 50 small school prospects, and then you broke it down by a position. Top 10 at quarterback, running back, top 10 at pretty much every position except for maybe fullback and tight end. Um, center is top five. Inside linebacker, kicker, punter, top three. Jakiski Tart from Stanford. He's our number one small school prospect. Is he a guy that could go in the first round? Um, I don't think uh... – I, he's another very good safety, and I think we're going to have to watch with him because he's actually coming off uh, kind of an, an injury, kind of a minor injury. He's actually going to be holding a, a private workout, I believe, um, at the end of this week, early next week. So there's a good chance that he's probably the third or fourth safety off the board. But I, I don't see any small scores that could go in the first round, but uh, there's there's going to be some guys who – I'm that second, especially the third and fourth round, we're going to see a couple of guys going, especially a player like uh, Ali Marpet, who, I mean, we're talking about a Division three guy, and we currently have him as the number two small school prospect. The last time, I think we had a small schooler go that high, I believe it was 1994, and it was a, a Ferrum College, a pretty good running back by the name of Chris Warren, who went to the Seattle Seahawks. That might um, ring a bell or kind of like a, a turn back Monday for people uh, hearing that name. That was the last time I believe we had a 
any from, from Division Three, I believe, go in the first three rounds. I think he went uh, like 84th or 85th overall. I think Marpet has a very good shot at going within the first three rounds um, from tiny Hobart College. But a couple of other good players, you know, David Johnson is a very undervalued running back from Northern Iowa. I think he's going to be turning a lot of heads. Daniel Fitzpatrick is currently number four. He was my number one small school prospect going into the year. I believe when we first ranked our uh, prospects, he was the only one that I had in the first two rounds. I believe he was number 60 overall to start the year. Uh, I think he's, he's dropped a little bit, but uh, Tennessee State, uh, Tennessee State, Northern Iowa, uh, both have three players, I believe, in the top 50. There are a couple of schools who, uh, Northern Iowa and, and uh, uh, Tennessee State, both of those schools had, I believe it was 25 and 26 uh, clubs at their pro days. So this, these weren't your average normal pro days for where you maybe have maybe eight to ten teams on a, with a very good pro day. It was double that. You, know, you had just about everyone in attendance. There's some very, very good players out there. Yeah, a couple of guys I like that you have a little later. Uh, Nick Boyle, the tight end out of Delaware. Uh, Eric Lott, the defensive tackle. Uh, Chattanooga, I know he he was dealing with some injuries uh, back in his junior year. He's played a lot of games, so he's definitely got some wear and tear. Um, but I, I've seen some film on him, and I, I've been pretty impressed with him. Um, and Brian Bennett is a guy that I know you were very high on, but now you have him as the second QB off the board in terms of uh, small school prospects. Talk about those, uh, those three guys. Sure. Bennett is a guy who, you know, originally started at Oregon, uh, was actually ahead of Marcus Mariota on the depth chart. Mariota was only a three-star recruit. Bennett was a four bordering on five. Actually had a foot injury that, Mariota kind of stepped into that starting spot and unfortunately never relinquished it, I'd say, unfortunately, for Brian Bennett. Has went to southeastern Louisiana, you know, shows the versatility, uh, you know, very good runner, someone who could probably handle that Chip Kelly type uh, or maybe pistol offense at the NFL level. A lot of questions, though. He did have uh, some injury problems, and, you know, he's accuracy is probably not a strong suit, but anytime, even as a senior, even with some of the problems you had, when people see that 46% completion percentage staring at you in the face as a senior, that is going to raise a few red flags. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, still still a very good player. Nick Boyle showed very, very well. Actually, some of the uh, the small schoolers, especially at tight end, where and, and we're talking about a class that's very depleted. Uh, so Nick Boyle, I think it's a good time for him to be coming out. Derek Lott is a guy that uh, bounced around a couple of the uh, the larger uh, FBS schools kind of landed at uh, Chattanooga. And Chattanooga, they've, he's a very good prospect, but he's probably the second guy off the board, Davis Tall. Uh, he, he's had a, a couple of injury issues, but I, I think he, he's probably worked himself into at least the fourth round, uh, the, the middle linebacker out of Chattanooga. Again, we're talking about a position that's a little bit lower as far as caliber of talent that we've seen in, in years past. So uh, those are some very good players. I think some of the wide receivers, we're, we're seeing some of these wide receivers kind of blossom now. I've been high on Trey McBride all year out of William & Mary. Uh, you've got a guy like uh, Jake Kudrow out of Wisconsin-Whitewater who, you know, running in the mid-4.5s with that 6.4 type uh, speed, yeah, that's, uh, you know, that, that, that's something that's – or 6.4 height with that speed is something that's going to garner a lot of attention. His father was a – 
Unfortunately, a, a first-rounder with the Dolphins who didn't really have a, a very good NFL career, but also we were talking about Joey Bosa. That is Joey Bosa's, what is it, Joey Bosa's uh, brother-in-law, I believe, uh, married to Joey Bosa's sister or something of that nature. There's a little bit of a tie-in there for Zach in uh, Ohio State country. But um, even a, a player that kind of just brought up, or every now and again they'll kind of sneak up on me as well, uh, a guy by the name of Gavin Luttman out of Pittsburgh State who – Last year, he didn't really take place in the juniors. When you go to a pro day, the juniors, a lot of times, they go out their time. It's kind of like uh, they, they do a few drills or kind of let people know that, hey, we're coming next year. And they were, there were some questions about his eligibility and how many, uh, uh, what year he actually was in college. It was, it was a little kind of up in the air as far as what Gavin Lutman would do. He comes into this year, has over 70 catches, just just really did a fantastic job and really just blew people away. Pittsburgh State, I believe that was at uh, Iowa State's workout where um, Gavin Luttman actually worked out. And for people saying, oh, Pittsburgh State, the gorillas. Well, if you remember, there was a wide receiver last year kind of came out of nowhere by the name of John Brown who jumped all the way to the third round and had a very, very productive rookie season with the Cardinals. So Gavin Luttman, we could be looking at John Brown 2.0. And he's, he's a lot taller, not quite as fast, but a more physical receiver. I see him as a very successful possession-type receiver who kind of has that deceptive speed. He can still get behind some people and make some big plays. So there's some larger prospects. Desmond Lewis out of Central Arkansas, 6'4". Addison Richards, if you take a, one of the two Canadian players, you have a shot at getting drafted out of uh, Regina in, uh, in Canada. There's some good wide receivers with some definite size that are going to surprise some people in this draft and, and probably get picked or be – priority free agents once the uh, signing period begins after the draft. A couple, couple other guys in their 40s in your ranking that I like. Um, well, Max Holcomb, the center out of Jacksonville State. I think he, he could go a lot earlier as one of top center, yes. So, you know, I think when it comes to centers, um, teams aren't as particular about them being at big schools, and you could see a lot of centers coming from small schools. So I, I could see Holcomb kind of jumping in there early, uh, somewhere in the middle of the uh, third or fourth round. And uh, Joe Bergeron, I think I remember him from Texas. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he was suspended, unfortunately, uh, allegedly, for punching a female and uh, hitting her. So the question then becomes, after the Ray Rice incident, is there any chance a guy like Joe Bergeron, uh, after the successful season at Texas A&M Commerce, is there any chance that he actually does get drafted? I'm not sure if he's going to get drafted, but he'll definitely be in a camp and he's going to push for some time. And the fact that he's got such size and speed, we could even you could even see him as a primary return guy. And he played most of the year at about 220 to 225. And he's made his pro day at 230, 231. Um, just to have that type of speed with that size is pretty scary, especially on a kickoff. You're talking about some major collisions going on there. Um, but, yeah, even a guy like Ronnell Williams out of Westchester, another very good middle linebacker type person, Taylor Bible. Carson Newman has actually produced a pretty uh, a handful of good prospects over the years. Um, Leonard Weaver probably being the most uh, popular, who played with the Seahawks for years and, and with the Eagles before his, his very, very serious and career-ending knee injury. There's a, there's a couple of good players that you can get in the back there um, in that 40 to 50 range that we have ranked. Uh, there's, you know, there's just talent. You know, you know that uh, small schools is kind of a soft spot for me. You mentioned Joe Bergeron, and that the guy that's actually right behind him in the running back list, another guy that people, a lot of people remember, 
uh, Venrick Mark from West Texas A&M. People will remember him from Northwestern. Northwestern. Going into his yeah, senior like season, this is, a, this is a guy that uh, there was hard to talk about Venrick Mark and suffered a, a injury early in the season and then with a change in offense um, and he was going to be some splitting time and he decided to go away from West Texas A&M and kind of be closer to his family. He had a, a grandmother, I believe it was a grandmother and or an aunt that was going through some serious illness. So uh, played West Texas A&M. Uh, didn't have a great year, but uh, was still still a threat when he touched the ball. And again, he, that this was a guy that we were talking about, you know, just two years ago being a potential Heisman candidate, winds up at West Texas A&M just a couple of years later. And a lot of people forget about him. It, Sometimes it's a what what have you done for me lately type of league, just like the NFL. So prospects can kind of come and go. As as, as much as we talk about prospects flying up the board, there's an equal number that are actually falling down the boards, unfortunately. Okay. Well, DJ, let's uh, let's talk about two more topics here. Um, today it was announced that the Atlanta Falcons are going to lose a fifth round 2016 draft pick for piping in stadium noise. In their home games, which you know the Nets have been using, Nets have been doing for years. So, do you think it's, uh, you think that was a just, justifiable uh, punishment? I'm not quite. Uh, I kind of think that that was, but uh, the fact that on the same day we we also hear about Ray Farmer getting suspended for four games for texting, I kind of think piping in the the crowd noise uh, to me was a little more serious. So I think that was just, and I think uh, maybe Farmer got off a. Got a, got a little bit too much there. I thought we were looking at one, maybe uh, maybe two games, or, and maybe the, the loss of a late-round pick there. I was kind of surprised. I thought Farmer, they came down a little bit too hard on him. It was probably about right, and I think that this late in the process, we knew it was going to be a 2016 selection, not 2015. So I think it was about right. I, I would have thought somewhere like a fourth to sixth-round pick, and uh, boom, right in the middle there, I believe it's a fifth-rounder. I just think it was a little more harsh toward uh, the Browns, but I think we knew that both teams were going to get some type of punishment, and uh, the NFL came down today. Right, and I think a lot of that is because they know that they're probably not the only teams and probably not the only GMs that are actually doing this. Um, they might be the ones that get caught. So I think you know, knowing how easy it is to do something like that, I think uh, this is more of a lesson for all the other teams, and that's why they wanted to make an example of it. So. Um, yeah, I mean, personally, I, I get the, the piping and noise because it was they were doing it as the quarterback was going into the huddle. But I, I just, you know, I just believe that it probably happens at a lot of stadiums. Um, you know, I'm sure there's announcers who just hold the microphone out to the crowd. Is that considered piping and noise? I mean, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of fine lines, and um, you know, I get it, but I don't necessarily. I agree with it, but I think, you know, you want to make an example in the league, and that's certainly one way to do it. So, Another topic we didn't talk about last week, because uh, we didn't meet, was the veteran combine. I just want to hear your, th- your thoughts. Did you feel that, you feel that was a, a successful move, and did, did you like it? I thought it was going to be a good idea, and I think it failed miserably, unfortunately. I think it really showed, if anything, it's good to have – the process that we have as far as going through picks and 40 times and how many reps are they able to do at 225 on the bench, what's the vertical leap. It's good, but I think this time of year, it's been so long since we've seen people play that sometimes 
what a prospect does at a pro day, just, you know, just bounces them up two to three rounds. It's a little bit ludicrous when most of these players have three to four years worth of tape that you can actually watch. It should affect their standing, absolutely, but I think that too much stock is put into it. And then you get the veteran combine. Look at a player like, like Michael Sam, who'd only been out of the league for a year. This is a guy who now, granted, when uh, he was at the combine, was running about you know, 4.75, 4.8, which is a little bit slow for his position. But this is a guy who isn't even breaking five now. Uh, I think some unofficial times had him at 4.99 being his best 40. Most of them had him at like 5.1 to 5.15. Just what a year can do. The, the famous quote of Michael Bush saying, 4.91, my career's over. And that was the nice way of saying it. I believe he had a, <laughs> a word in there that I, I can't repeat. So I think it just shows that sometimes those – we, we put a little bit too too much stock in those. Unfortunately, I think it came at the expense of these veterans. And I think many people thought that we were going to see, what, maybe 15 to 20 players possibly uh, out of the about 100 that were there find a home. And I think, what, there were two signings. So it was, I think, a kind of a colossal failure. But if anything else, I think it, it, it should serve as more of a lesson that it's good, the pro day process and, and what we're doing leading up to the draft. But Take it with a grain of salt, guys. It's not the not the only thing that you can, uh, as far as the laurels, that you can hang your hat on as far as a prospect and what they can do. I think for next year, I mean, they might, um, you know, now that some players have done it, the question is, did it create a stigma that if you're going there, then you're, you know, you're, you're not, you're kind of subpar uh, because if you're not there, then you should be signed anyway. But I also think it could turn players on a little bit. Uh, I think you might see even more prospects or might might see more veterans going there and saying, you know what, it was a good opportunity to showcase. I'm better than those guys. You know, I can I can turn this into a, uh, a free agent signing. So I'd be interested to see the numbers next year and to see how many people turn out. Um, I, I did love the, the concept. Um, I think it's interesting to put things in perspective for teams. I think a lot of teams, as you said, you know, they look at the draft prospects and the the combine numbers and they say, well, this guy jumps all around and they compare it to veterans and they might say, well, you know, that's that's not that great. Or they might say, you know what, that's really good comparing to a guy who's been in the league for a couple of years and, you know, works out with an NFL regiment. So, um, so I like it. I like it for a lot of reasons. I, uh, yeah, I'd be curious if it happens again next year. So, I would love to see it tinkered with because I think it's a great concept. I just think, unfortunately, it really bombed in its first year. I think it's a good thing, but they've, they've definitely got to go back to the drawing board. But I'd like to see them keep that around and see what 2.0 or 3.0 even has to offer. Uh, what about some sort of scrimmage, DJ? Uh, veteran scrimmage. Do you think that would do anything for people? It's possible, but at the same time, I think those scrimmages, it's kind of seen as, as more of a exhibition type. And there's been so much talk about uh, reducing exhibition games from four to two and or possibly even see those uh, the number of games go from 16 to 18. There's really, we're seeing these exhibition games, it's really for about the last five or six spots on a roster. A lot of those spots are, are predetermined or are pretty close. Someone really has to mess up or some major injuries kind of force the hands there. 
Uh, it's kind of like, like the Pro Bowl. Unfortunately, just football, it's just kind of like an all-star game. And unfortunately, they've not been able to find the right balance there. That is the, of, of the major sports. The all-star game and the Pro Bowl for the NFL is kind of the biggest joke there is. And I'm just not sure what the format would be in order to make that enticing. Uh, it's maybe just kind of more simulated drill competitions. Uh, Vice just, you know, putting people on a stopwatch or just counting, you know, one to 30, how many, you know, how many reps someone's going to do. Maybe just more direct correlation or competition. You know, they they find a way to to make a scrimmage worthwhile, but it just, it just always comes off very gimmicky. It's it's a very, very tough sell. But again, I don't think this year went off very well. So it's something they could try. I think they'd be open to just about anything. All right. Well, anything else you want to talk about tonight, DJ? I would say just the fact that um, we're uh, dwindling down with our pro days. Now it's going to be more about private workouts and some of the players that have been injured. Uh, I think you want to come back to draftsite.com and make sure you're getting the latest and greatest on what's going on with those pro days and those private workouts. And obviously we're going to have a lot more information. We're down, you know, today's the 30th, the 30th next month. We're, we're in, the, in the first round of the draft. So one month to go. So we're we're down to the nitty gritty now. It's 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 all getting real, and uh, we're really going to see a lot of jockeying over the next couple of weeks, and, and start hearing maybe even about some potential deals, uh, teams that might be moving up or down. But again, always something you take with a grain of salt. It's which teams are throwing smoke screens and where is there some actual truth behind some of the rumors? It's it's fun kind of sifting through the information and finding fact from fiction. It's definitely a fun time of year. It might be slow in terms of you know events. But, uh, you know, with the pro days and all the trade talk, uh, it's going to be fun. Obviously, most of the trades don't pick up until right before the draft, and they want to either make sure that no one else gets in there or that they can get a last-minute deal. But, um, yeah, it's start of a good month. So for any of you who are fans of sports besides the NFL, just a real quick note, um, we're updating the WNBA mock draft, which is coming up. That's coming up in the middle of the month on April 16th. Actually, we did add a third round. Sorry, I forgot about that. Um, but we're going to be updating that. The NHL draft, NHL mock draft, we have a full seven-round mock draft. We have 2016 mock as well. Um, that's going to be being updated constantly. Uh, we're updating the orders. There's a lot of trades. Playoffs coming up. It's an exciting time of year for the NHL. Same for the NBA. It's a very exciting time of year. Uh, playoffs are about to start happening. Fantasy, fantasy final playoffs are ending. I know in one league I came in first in, in the regular season and we lost in the first round. And in the second league, I am now in the finals and I came in first in that league. So, uh, I might not just be an NFL expert. I, NBA is my, my baby as well. So, but there's, some big news that just happened today. Uh, Montrose Harrell and Terry Rosier from Louisville are entering the draft. Uh, Miles Turner, a prospect from Texas that I really like, but I think it's a little inconsistent with a lot of talent. He's going to be entering the draft and there's a few others. So we'll start getting a blog updated with all that information. We'll start updating all the mock drafts. So if you're a fan of mock drafts in general, beyond just the NFL, we got it all, and we're going to keep working on it, and you're going to see more and more content as the months go on. And for the NFL, we're going to keep them updated. Uh, I'm going through one last time tonight, making sure the order is all set, making sure we have the trades correct, comparing with the NFL. 
Um, and um, we're we, Brendan is actually adding in some video for all the top prospects. So if you click on each player, you'll be able to see a, a little highlight video at the bottom that you can expand to the screen. Uh, we're going to be adding some scouting reports. We're going to be adding some statistics, maybe some stuff from the combine. Um, we're going to be adding some pictures. And we're going to be adding a lot more functionality and content to the site. So it's all coming. It's an exciting time. So keep coming back. Keep sending your recommendations. Keep coming to the podcast every Monday night and listening in. We appreciate all your support. Uh, next week, we'll do more of a mailbag. We'll, we'll get some of your questions and answers. Um, any comments, questions, feel free to email us. Absolutely. And just one point I also want to point out to people, get that draft magazine, and when you look at that back cover, don't just think, oh, it's next year. I don't have to pay attention. Let's remind the readers who our top three picks last year when we had to do this were for this year. I believe it was Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, and Leonard Williams. So we called it a year in advance, guys, and I've uh, we've had uh, Leonard Williams as our top prospect all year. So don't just look at 2015, 2016. Get, a, get an early jump on what your team might be doing and, and looking at those prospects. Great call, DJ. Great call. Yeah, check it out. Uh, Newsstands, if you want to see, well, we can post a link with uh, the cover page on draft site so you can see which magazine it is. Uh, there's a ton of great content in there. There's a breakdown of all the different teams and their needs. There's a breakdown of the top players at each position. Um, there's small school prospects. Frankly, draft sites are all better, but, uh, you know, we're all part of the same magazine. So check it out. It's a great one to have. Uh, you'll love having it during the draft. You can reference it. Um, and, you know, same with draft site. Hopefully you'll be able to reference it during the draft, see our mock, get some props, get some information about the prospects and uh, be as prepared as possible going into the mock, uh, going into the draft and create your own mock draft, share it with us. Uh, pretty soon you're going to start seeing some of the top rated users on the actual mock draft page. So make sure if you have a mock draft, you share it with your friends, get everyone to vote on it. Because the more votes you get, the more likely you'll be able to see it on draftside.com. So that will be coming soon, and uh, we're pretty excited. And I think that's about it for tonight. So thanks, everyone, for joining. And DJ, hope you have a great night. Good night, everyone. Sam.